One of my most memorable New Year's was about 20 years ago at the turn of the century when the year moved from 1999 to 2000. I was working in corporate back then and booked a hotel in downtown Dallas for my family to enjoy the revelries and the festivities. Of course, my Asian family went to bed early and didn't make it to midnight. Only my brother and I were up to ring in the new century. As the countdown began, our Dallas version of the New York City ball began to drop. Everyone was ready to ring in a new year, a new decade, a new century. When the countdown hit zero, everyone cheered, music blared, and everyone was wishing everyone else a happy new year, a happy new century. But what was interesting was that soon after the celebration of the turn of the new century, we all went back to our normal lives the day after. The start of the new century looked very much like the ending of the old one. All that celebrating, and we were still the same. The change of a year date comes with it a lot of well wishes, hopes, and even resolutions. But there is nothing intrinsically concrete that accompanies it with no visible changes in action. Well, it's 2021, and again, everyone is hopeful and certainly anticipating a much better year than the very crazy 2020. But as 2020 hands us over to 2021, outside of the well wishes we give to one another, has anything really changed? The same uncertainties we experience in 2020 are still with us. We are the same people that we were last year, and our attitudes and actions haven't really changed. There isn't anything new in the new year other than a new date. So is it possible, therefore, to make the new year really a new year? with a change in attitude and action. Perhaps you can ask yourself the question, what is one tangible thing I want to change about my life as I enter this new year with great hope and anticipation to really make it a new year? As you are thinking about that question, may I propose to you one tangible thing that you really should be doing on a regular basis to make your new year a new one. And it comes from the Bible. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31 as we begin in verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 31, beginning in verse 9. Something similar is happening in the context of this passage. The people of Israel are about to enter the promised land of Canaan, and it will mark a new chapter in their history. They are at the border about to cross the Jordan River. But as God has decided, their trusted leader Moses for over 40 years would not lead them into the promised land. A new leader in the person of Joshua will be the one to lead them into an uncertain future to conquer the land that is rightfully theirs. And our new sermon series starting next week will be a book study in the book of Joshua. The leaders have changed. A historical marker in Israel's history is about to be set. But the same uncertainties are present. How will they fare against the fierce enemies that occupy that land? How will they be able to remain cohesive as 12 distinct tribes under a new leader? Before his death on Mount Nebo, Moses gives Joshua and the people some advice. You would think that it's a laundry list of things for them to do and to remember. But there was only one thing that Moses asks them to do. What is that one thing? It is the one thing that I would advise all of us to do as we head into the new year, 2021, with the same uncertainties. 
Look with me at verses 9 to 11. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. As Moses was handing off the mantle of leadership to Joshua, there was a very interesting and specific instruction for Joshua to do. When all the people, including men, women, and children, gathered at the annual Feast of Tabernacles on the sabbatical or canceling debt year, which was once every seven years, the Word of God was to be read, read aloud for all the people to hear. Now, we have to remember that at that time, not everyone had copies of the Scripture, unlike today. People learned the Word of God through public reading of it and being taught by parents or priests. So, in this important handoff, the one tangible action they were to do in the midst of such uncertainties was a commitment to know God's Word. This is the one thing I want to challenge all of us to do this year, and that is to know God's Word, to know it more in order to really make it a truly new year. For the people of Israel to know God's Word, it was to listen to it as it was being read, as they didn't have access to the Scriptures. But for us today, it is to read God's Word in order to know it. There is certainly no excuse for us not to know God's Word by reading it as we have it available in physical form or in electronic form. It's simple. If we don't read it, then we don't know it. If we don't know it, then we won't do it. Imagine if you received a box of Legos as a gift for your birthday or Christmas, but your parents took away the instruction manual and the box and simply gave you the clear plastic bags with the Legos inside. Would you be happy? Would you know what to build? And even if you did try to build what you think the pieces were there for and how they were to go together, I can guarantee you it won't look anything like the picture in the box. And that's how a lot of people treat God's Word. They think they know it, but they've really never read it, and they don't have an overall picture as a guide, and therefore they have built up the Christian life according to them. And they live out a Christian life that is very different from the Bible, but it is based on what they think that the Bible tells them how they are to live. When I talk about reading, I'm referring to a type of reading that seeks to comprehend and to understand God's Word. There really is a difference between reading something and really reading something for understanding. In my doctoral program, I remember we were required to read tens of thousands of pages of literature. The joke amongst us candidates was that we could use the fan method and allow the electric fan to turn the pages while our eyes fell on each page and consider it having read those pages. But of course, if we use that method, it would be of no benefit. And yet lots of people do read God's Word using the so-called fan method. Their eyes glance over the words or they read it but, but without comprehension. And then they pat themselves on the back and feel that their spiritual task has been accomplished for that day because their eyes simply scanned over a few verses. 
knowing that the people needed to know why it was important to know God's Word through the public reading of it in their situation, Moses gave Joshua and the people four compelling reasons to know God's Word. Look at verse 12 with me. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. The first purpose Moses gives to the people of Israel to know God's Word through the public reading of it was for the people to learn to fear the Lord. Number one, to learn to fear God. To learn to fear God. You know, we often talk about instilling a God-fearing attitude in the hearts of the young and old of our generation. But sadly, this is a generation that doesn't fear God very much. We only fear God if something bad is happening to us or something bad is happening to our loved ones. And other than that, we really don't fear or respect God. But that proper fear and respect comes when we know His Word by reading it so that we know the God that we worship and how He has revealed Himself. One will fear and respect the Lord when one has a true and total picture of how God is revealed in the Scriptures. For example, if I were to tell you to fear and respect lions, but you've never seen a lion, and let's say you don't know what a lion is, and when asked to describe this lion that I'm supposed to fear, I describe the lion as an animal that's very soft and cuddly with soft mane, and I go on to describe the lion as generally lethargic, during the heat of the day, and it simply lays around all the time, and if you could sleep next to it, it would be very comfortable to sleep on its mane. And as a lion cub, all it does is mew and, and purr and, and loves to drink milk. With that description of a lion, does it strike fear in your hearts? Of course not. Never having seen a lion, that description would not cause you to fear a lion. But if I told you that the lion is a ferocious beast that can tear you to pieces with its powerful claws and its razor-sharp teeth, that a lion can outrun you and kill you in an instant with one pounce on your body, ripping off your flesh with one bite, and is rightly known as the king of the jungle being on top of the food chain, would you then fear and respect a lion, of course. You see, the first and second description of the lion are both true, but you need to have both descriptions to get the complete view of what is a lion. So it is when we know the Word of God through reading it, through the listening of God's Word. We get the complete picture of who God is. The Bible reveals God as one who is loving, who is gracious and merciful, but also reveals Him as one who hates sin, whose patience has a limit, who holds our life in His hands. The Bible describes God as one who forgives and grants eternal life through His unconditional love, but also one who may choose to bring our earthly life to an early end if we continue to sin willfully and without repentance. When we have a complete view of who God is, then naturally we will fear and respect Him and be more inclined to walk the path of righteousness to avoid God's discipline. 
when we know God's Word, we know what He does to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah as it relates to their sinful living. When we know the Word of God, we know what He did to Ananias and Sapphira who were Christians but tried to deceive God. And knowing that this loving God also dares to discipline because of His holiness as revealed in the Scriptures hopefully will bring us to a place where we do not try to play games with God to see how much sin we can sin before we suffer consequences when His patience runs out. Many don't know or have forgotten this part about God, which often isn't talked about because no one wants to hear about a God who disciplines. But that's exactly why we need to read the Scriptures to know God in order to see that God does discipline people who sin in His own time and in His own way. And that while our God is a loving God who does forgive sin, it is not a license to sin as there are real consequences to sin. That's why over and over throughout the Scriptures, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there is a constant reminder to fear God. To fear God. Because the tendency is for us to take Him for granted and to belittle Him. Remember those final verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Here is what the writer concludes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. That great writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, comes to the conclusion that one must fear God and keep His commandments. Look what the Apostle Peter admonishes the Christians on how they are to live in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your life as foreigners here in reverent fear. The Apostle Peter tells us how as we live this life, we are to fear God. In the same way, why did Moses tell Joshua and the people of Israel that they were to know God's Word? Because by knowing God's Word, it would give them a total picture of who God is and in turn will cause them to naturally fear and respect Him. And when that happens, it will transform lives. Chuck Colson is quoted saying, Without ultimate justice, people's sense of moral obligation dissolves. Social bonds are broken. People who have no fear of God soon have no fear of man and no respect for human laws and authority. It all begins with the fear of the Lord. Conversely, those who fear God will not fear men, and that indeed will change how we live our lives. But it all begins with knowing God through how He has revealed Himself through His Word, which will lead us to naturally honor and fear Him with reverence. Look again at verse 12. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gate, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. This is the second reason Moses gives for why people were to know God's Word through the reading of His Word in times of uncertainties. The last part of verse 12, they were to know God's Word so that they may carefully observe all of God's Word. You see, the second reason, number two, 
in order to live life as God desires. To live life as God desires. This truth is rather simple to grasp. If you don't know God's Word, then you don't know how God expects you to live your life as His children. But if you do know God's Word, then you will know what is expected of you. If you're going to tell me that you are a Christ follower, that you are a Christian, I'm going to expect that you know God's Word. Because how do you follow Christ when you don't know what He wants you to do? To know God's Word will tell you how to deal with someone you have a disagreement with. To know God's Word by reading it will tell you how to deal with someone who has wronged you. To know God's Word will teach you as a follower of Jesus Christ how you are supposed to treat your spouse, how you are to teach your children and interact with them, how you are to respond to the government and its leaders that you may not agree with. Knowing God's Word through reading it will answer the questions of whether you can eat meat offered to idols or if you really need to pray with eyes closed and hands folded together or if you really need to give 10% of your income as tithe in this age of grace we live in. And by the way, the answer is no. If you don't know God's Word, then you and I don't know how we are to conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. And so I really encourage you to read the Bible this year, especially starting with the New Testament, for how a Christian is to live in this world full of challenges and uncertainties. I want you to circle that word all at the end of verse 12. The last part of the verse. To observe all the words of this law. The Bible tells us we are to observe all of it. So that goes without saying that we must know all of it. You know, there's a saying in the legal world, ignorance of the law is no excuse. It is the principle that a person who is unaware of a law may not escape liability for violating that law merely by being unaware of its content. Because if it was so, then everyone who commits a crime will simply say they didn't know it was wrong for them to do so. Again, that's why it's important for us to know God's Word so that we are without excuse when we stand before the Lord to give an accounting of our lives. You know, it would be highly unfair if the Lord told us to be good Christians but never tell us what is expected of a Christian, but then rewards us on the basis of what He has not told us to do. But God doesn't do that. He tells us what is expected of us, all of it, and we are to know it by reading God's Word because we are responsible to read it and to know it. I came across an article with obvious instructions on products, but apparently people still need to have those instructions there, even though it's so obvious. On a bar of dial soap, it says there are directions. Use like regular soap. I don't know how else people would use soap, but there it is. Directions. Use like regular soap. On Tesco's tiramisu dessert, printed on the bottom of the box, do not turn upside down. On Mark and Spencer's bread pudding, it says this, product will be hot after heating. Seems logical, but there it is. On a Korean kitchen knife, warning, keep out of hands of children. Makes sense. On a string of Chinese-made Christmas lights, for indoor and outdoor use only. I'm not sure there are any other uses, but it's only for indoor and outdoor use only. On a Japanese food processor, 
not to be used for the other use. Huh? That makes no sense. I don't know what you're going to do with the food processor, but the warning states not to be used for the other use. On a Stainsbury peanut can, it says, warning, contains nuts. God's Word also has some pretty obvious things stated, but we still need to know it because unless it's clearly stated as this is what God desires, then we may think it's up for debate or we may misread it or misuse it. Know God's Word to live life as God desires. Look at verse 13 with me. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. You know, interestingly enough, Moses gives the people another reason for why it is important to know the Word of God. It was so that the next generation would be influenced for the Lord. Number three, to influence the next generation for the Lord. To influence the next generation for the Lord. In this context, the public reading of God's Word every seven years would allow the next generation to be familiar with God's Word, especially if their parents were not diligent to teach them God's Word. Sadly, too many parents today have ceded the responsibility of teaching their children God's Word to the church or to a Christian school. My friends, the primary responsibility for giving spiritual instruction to your children is the parents. Yes, every child as they grow up is responsible for their own faith walk. But the primary responsibility for establishing a culture of spiritual sensitivity and the environment for a love of biblical truth in a child's formative and early foundational years rests with the parents. Parents are always wanting to teach important life skills to their children. Well, one of the most important life skills you need to teach them is how to love God and how to love His Word. Do you read God's Word with them? Do you read God's Word to them? Do you read it as a family? How much time you spend on an activity is something that your children will emulate when they grow up. And so if you have not been in the practice of reading God's Word to your children or as a family, start in 2021. All of you can read. There is no excuse why you cannot read God's Word. And in order that they may grow up to be God-fearing, that's what the Bible says. I recently watched an episode of Master Chef Junior. And here were these children ages 8 to 13 cooking amazing, delicious dishes with techniques I don't even know. What I found out was that most all of these children had parents that were amazing cooks and allowed their children to play in the kitchen and be comfortable with the kitchen surrounding. That's why their children love to cook. In the same way, there is a direct correlation between how much you invest spiritually in the lives of your children, especially to know God's Word, and how they will be spiritually sensitive to God's leading in the future. This is a generation that, while they won't admit it, urgently needs the timeless truths of God's Word in their life. That's how you truly influence the next generation. Give them something that they can look to for guidance when you're no longer around or when you can't be with them. In these past years, my boys have taken an interest in apologetics as they have 
read God's Word and they have questions about God's Word. It's not because they are pastor's kids and we don't always talk theology around the dinner table. But on their own volition, they have started to listen to podcasts and watch YouTube videos that are not of their dad. I've also noticed that my library of books have started to slowly disappear and my books end up in their bookshelf and in their library. And I'm glad for this. I told them to read away. And if they want any books from my library, it's theirs. I think it's important when a child wants to know God's Word and they want to dig into God's Word that you create an environment where they can know God's Word more. I've often wondered how we can influence the next generation, a generation that is seemingly so different from ours and moving at lightning speed. And this is a generation today that can smell a hypocrite a mile away. And if you point them to yourself and say, be like me, they won't change. But that's why you point them to the Bible, which points them to the person of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. You and I are not perfect, so we can't influence the next generation by pointing them to us. We influence them by pointing them to the perfect Jesus of the Scriptures. We influence them by pointing them to living a life lived for a greater purpose other than themselves, which the Bible talks about. I look at my own life with all the crazy things I did in the years I was not walking with the Lord. And during those crazy times, there was a set of boundaries I would not cross and I did not cross by God's grace. Not because I couldn't cross those boundaries. It was actually quite easy to do the things that would have greatly displeased God because no one would have known. My parents weren't with me. No one would have called me out on it. But I didn't cross those lines because instilled in my heart when I was young was God's Word. And in those moments of great temptation, somehow and in some way, God's Word or a children's song based on God's Word would often pop into my mind. Let me tell you how annoying it is when, for example, at a club in New York City with the music gyrating, that the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, pops into your head. And like the last song syndrome, you can't get rid of it. I look back and I'm grateful that that song and other Bible verses popped into my head because it surely kept me out from real trouble. Know God's Word. It will influence the next generation for the Lord. Now jump over one chapter to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 44. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 44. Let me read from 44 to 46. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. So Moses had finished writing God's word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and again reminded Joshua that he and the people should know and take hard God's word and to follow it. And now note the reason for why in verse 47. For it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land 
which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Moses tells all the people gathered there that knowing God's Word is something that is worth doing. It is not futile. It is life. It is life-giving. And it is for one's benefit. Why? Because it contains the words of wisdom from the Lord. And it will serve as a great guide for the people of Israel as they enter the promised land. You know, in the same way, we often think when we want to do something or not, is it worth our time and effort? And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is it worth our time and effort to know God's Word? And the answer is absolutely yes. You see, the fourth reason, number four, to do something worthwhile and beneficial. We want to know God's Word in order to do something worthwhile and beneficial. You know, everyone is wanting 2021 to be a great year. Why don't you do something worthwhile and beneficial to make it a great year? And that is to know God's Word. The Bible tells us in verse 47, it is life. It is what you and I need to survive in these times of challenges and these times of uncertainty where the date changes, but little else has changed. So redeem the time and do something worthwhile. You know, if the Bible is useless and futile and ineffective and pointless, then it isn't worth your time reading it. But Moses says very clearly, it is beneficial. Recently, I bought myself a simple massage chair, the one where you can put your face in a hole sitting up, and I bought it on Lazada. And for the price I got it for, I knew it would be made in China. When the box arrived, there was some assembly required, but I wasn't too worried because it came with instructions. And so I started to assemble it, referring to the instructions. But I realized that the person who wrote the instructions actually didn't know the product well. First of all, it kept referring to figure eight. Assemble this furniture piece like in figure eight. Well, the problem was in this instruction, there was no figure eight. The English was terrible with bad grammar, and it referred to the seat cushion and the arm cushion, picturing them as different. But the cushion that came in the box were exactly the same. Well, good thing I have an engineering degree, so I finally figured it out, and I laughed to myself. I finally found use for my college degree, assembling a massage chair without instructions. But, you know, those instructions were utterly useless because it wasn't true to life. It was unclear, and it referred to things that were simply non-existent, all of which does not apply to God's Word. The Bible is our survival guide for life and is available for us at our fingertips. The question is, do we open it and use it? Do we think it as something worthwhile and beneficial for us to look into every day for guidance? To reject the Bible's instruction for how we are to live is to find ourselves like the person in the story who rushed to the beach on a sunny day and dove into the water to go swimming. After surfacing for air, he saw the sign at the dock, no swimming, sharks in water. At that point, the swimmer can decide that the no swimming rule is either a killjoy that is taking the fun out of his day, or he can decide it's a good thing 
to be aware of the dangers of swimming right now and heed the instruction of not swimming. If you were that swimmer, what would you have done? I know what you do. You would have kept on swimming. You say, no, pastor, we would have gotten out of the water. And I tell you, no, you would have kept swimming. You don't believe me? How many times does the Bible tell us not to do something, but we continue to do it to our own detriment because we won't heed the warnings? It's the same as seeing a sign that says, no swimming, sharks around and still staying in the water. My friends, don't waste your year. Do something that will be worthwhile and beneficial to your life in these times of uncertainties. Know God's Word. I recently came across an article uh, for instructions given to Peace Corps volunteers serving in the Amazon rainforest of Brazil for what they were to do if they ran into hungry pythons. And the instructions go something like this. Remember not to run away. The python can run faster. The thing to do is to lie flat on the ground on your back with your feet together, arms at your side, head well down. The python will then try to push its head under you, experimenting at every possible point. Keep calm. That was underlined. You must let him swallow your foot. It is quite painless, and it will take a long time. If you lose your head and struggle, he will quickly whip his coils around you. If you keep calm and still, he will go on swallowing. Wait patiently until he is swallowed up to about your knee. Then carefully take out your knife and insert it into the disextended side of his mouth and with a quick rip, slit him up. These instructions for saving your life in the rainforest of the Brazilian Amazon seems odd and hard to follow. But however odd it may seem, it will save your life. You know, so it is with the Bible. Some of the things it asks us to do may not seem logical, may not seem to make sense. But remember, a loving God has given us His Word for our benefit in order to save us, to give us the best of years. Moses thought it was so important for Joshua and the people to know God's Word that when he passed the baton, he asked them simply to read the words of Scripture aloud in its entirety once every seven years and for them to know God's Word. As you start this new year, my friend, may I challenge you to include one thing on your list as you resolve to do many things, perhaps make this on the top of your list. At a time when the date changes, but little else has changed, I implore you to know God's Word. And to those of you who think you know God's Word, know more of it. The benefits are great for your life. You will learn to fear God. You will live life as God desires. You will influence the next generation for the Lord and you are doing something worthwhile and beneficial. It is not a wasted time. You see, since you and I don't know the future, and you and I don't really know what 2021 looks like, then every day this year, we need to live our lives such as it was our last day on earth, and to live it in such a way that it pleases the Lord, and there are no excuses. Knowing God's Word will make sure that you and I don't live 
this year with regret. Because each day, as you read the survival guide to life, it will remind each of us how we are to live wisely and how to live for God's glory and with a greater purpose. I pray blessings upon you this 2021. But more than simply granting well wishes of a happy new year to one another, I hope you will take the opportunity to concretely take action to change your life by reading God's Word and knowing God's Word. May God bless you this 2021. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. It is a good reminder even for someone as busy as myself to know that I need to read Your Word. Lord, I pray that as we enter a new year, with all of its uncertainties, that we will take comfort and assurance in reading Your Word and knowing it. Lord, the richness and the beauty of Your Word is something we need in this life to challenge us every day. And Father, You don't tell us that we are to know the future. You tell us that we are to read Your Word and to live our lives in such a way, holy and pleasing, that each day of this uncertain year will be lived in a way that is right with You. May that be our desire as we enter a glorious new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.